0: I was in a hotel in Muskogee, Oklahoma. Some of you know Muskogee, maybe you're Okies from Muskogee. I was working for Snapple Beverage Corp. Uh, I used to make uh, tea. It was one of my many, many jobs that I've had. Anyway, while I was there, uh, a tornado hit. The reason I know that is because I was watching TV and the Weather Channel took over, and there was a, a loud uh, buzzing warning noise, and so I panicked and uh, changed my shorts, and then I watched the TV for the next hour as they tracked the tornado going through the town of Muskogee. Now, I didn't, it didn't hit anywhere near me, but I didn't know that. I looked out the window, it was pitch black outside, And I was safe, but I'd never experienced that before. And I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but the United States is the tornado capital of the world. Uh, We have somewhere in the neighborhood of of 1,200 tornadoes each year. And not only do we have the most, but we also have the most severe tornadoes in the world. And they come through a place called what? Tornado Alley, you guys know. Some of you probably lived in Tornado Alley, and then you moved here to earthquake country. Well, uh, the problem is that... uh it just creates a lot of damage and uh, there's no warning usually except for a very short period of time. They know the kinds of things that create tornadoes, but it's still a bit of a guessing game. So just to give you a flavor of what it's like to see a tornado, we have people that uh, have the stupidity to go outside and film them on their iPhone. So I thought I would show you one of those videos. why I live here too. Sacramento, there's no no dangers here, other than uh, maybe getting hit on the freeway or road rage. <clears throat> on May 22nd in 2011, an EF that was probably about an EF1, maybe an EF2, but uh, on May 22nd, 2011, an EF5, which is the worst kind of tornado, hit the town of Joplin, Missouri, and you probably have heard that that town name before, it was a violent tornado. Uh, There was plenty of warning, they gave uh, warnings, they sent it out, they actually had the sirens running, and yet most people did nothing. They stayed right where they were. And when everything was said and done, the tornado had gone right through the center of town and had completely demolished 4,000 buildings and ruined another 8,000. And sadly, 158 people lost their lives. And it's kind of odd to think that somebody would experience that and know that, that tornadoes are so dangerous, but yet do nothing about it. And scientists actually study why don't people take warnings and go to cover when they have an opportunity. And they've discovered there's a few things that cause people uh, to stop, to not be motivated to take care of himself. Number one is, uh, they call it normalcy bias. It's just things will always be the way they are now, right? You guys know that's true. You leave your office at the same time, you go home. The freeway should always take about the same amount of time. You get home, you should have uh, you know, dinner ready if you have dinner ready yesterday. If you don't have it, you probably won't have it. But whatever's going on in your life, it's gonna be the same today, right? Uh, also, sometimes we're just in denial. We don't think anything bad can happen to us, and that's a struggle because we need to be motivated sometimes to do the things in our lives that will help us. We are in a series we're finishing up called In Everything, talking about making the choices like today, like our life depends on it. And I believe our life does depend on it. I do believe we're getting called to go into a new series, as, as a new series, a, a, new, um, a new era as a church. And so I want us to be motivated. So I thought I would show you a few motivational posters. That usually does it, All right? Go ahead and put the first one up. Here's a motivational poster about Friends. I don't know if you read the catchline, but it says "Friends." Too much work, I'm out of here. All right, the next motivational poster, productivity. Just remember, however hard you work, you can always be replaced. And the third one is perseverance. Let your dreams go and save a lot of time, energy, and probably money too, right? Now we've all seen motivational posters, maybe around the office, the little kitten holding on, hang in there, you know. Um, I've never been motivated by motivational posters. But I will say this, most of those posters are what I live in my real life, right? Friendships, they're difficult, so I I find myself maybe not wanting to put effort into something that's difficult, or maybe feeling like work doesn't matter what I do, they may fire me anyway, or uh, thinking about my dreams, oh, it's just too hard. I mean, a lot of us actually live out those, what they call demotivational posters. I'm grateful to Kevin for turning me on to these. Kevin Lautzenheiser uh, told me about these, so I think he's got them around his home. Anyway, um, (laughs) but I hope you all feel uh, motivated today. But if you don't, I've got some, uh, some scriptures that I know should motivate you because that's the whole purpose of these scriptures. We're gonna be spending some time in Hebrews 12 and a little bit in Hebrews 11. But before we do, I want to pray to set the stage. Heavenly Father, uh, we need you, we need your Holy Spirit, we need your direction, your wisdom, and we need to see things that we don't see right now and to do things that we're not doing right now to accomplish what you've called us to accomplish and to live the fulfilling lives you have called us to, to, uh, to live. So I just pray right now that you would speak to us through your word and through the message in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, Hebrews 11 is called the hero chapter of the Bible. If you've ever read Hebrews 11, you know that it starts off talking about what faith is all about, and then it gives a long list of different people that lived throughout uh, the Old Testament, uh, starting from Abel and Abraham and all the way through to the prophets, and it gives incredible things they did, and it's inspirational. And as the writer of Hebrews is going through that, he does that whole list of things in chapter 11 because he wants us to get what he's about to say in chapter 12. And so we're gonna take this up, Hebrews 12 verses one through four says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, those are all those people that the writer had just spoken about, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion, who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people, then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. So the writer is saying, look at what Jesus had to go through. He endured difficulty, he endured opposition, he endured hardship, but he stayed the course. And he was given a reward for it. So let's not lose heart because the chances are when we begin to do the things that we're motivated to do today, we might experience some opposition that demotivates us tomorrow. And if we're gonna accomplish the impossible that God is calling us to accomplish, we've got to have a different mindset. So I wanna look at three things today that we can do that will help us be motivated to do the impossible. Why? Because some of us feel like it's impossible to to have the kind of relationships that we wanna have in our marriages or to have the kinds of relationships that that I want with my kids or leave the legacy I wanna leave for my family or maybe to make the kind of impact I wanna make in my community. We are called to do the impossible so we need to understand how to do that. So number one, I'm motivated to do the impossible when I surround myself with what's possible. I'm not talking about what's possible by what we can see but what's possible in the spiritual realm because we don't see what's possible from here unless someone opens our eyes. There's a psychological phenomenon called emotional contagion and I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but I guarantee you've experienced it. Emotional contagion happens when you see somebody else crying and you cry. I know you've been at movies, right? You see somebody crying in the movies and you start crying and some of you don't cry but you have allergies. But we also laugh sometimes when other people are laughing. That's why they put laugh tracks in those sitcoms because it helps us to laugh. It's called emotional contagion but there's other things we're affected by as well. There's social contagion. So when we're in uh, the... Uh, the circle or we're in the company of other people who maybe tearing down the boss at work, we tend to jump in or tearing down the company. Man, I wish they would do things the way uh, I know how to do them, but this company would be right, you know, and we, we jump in and we start sharing our wisdom of how they ought to run things and pr- pretty soon we're just bashing things. Or maybe when we're hearing gossip about somebody else, we tend to jump in on that. It's, it's a social contagion that affects us all. And friends, what we need is, we need a faith contagion. We need something that's gonna affect us and influence us, and there's no better place to find that than in in the house of God, in in the circle of the family of faith, which is what we have here today. Faith is is, is kinda like the night vision goggles that we need to see what's possible. You know, when you look out uh, and it's dark, and you don't really see anything, if you put night vision goggles, all of a sudden you see all kinds of things. My, I have a Ring doorbell, I don't know if you guys have that, but it has this ability to uh, see things even when the lights are out. And I have my, my door, my, my light to my door on all the time, <clears throat> but every once in a while I like to turn it off because at night I actually can see better with the night vision goggles that the Ring app has than even with the light on on my door. Faith. We need that kind of faith to be able to see what God sees because we can't see it yet. And when we're in the company of other people that have faith, it infects us. I remember I was in San Diego. I was brand new pastor down there, a brand new church launch. And I had this guy come up to me and he said, you know, I've been thinking about this for years. I want to do this for years. There's this Christmas parade called the Starlight Parade. And Uh, I think it'd be really cool if we did it as a church. And I I asked him, well, how many people go to this? He goes, I don't know. I've never really been to it, (laughs) but I've heard it's a big deal. And um, I said, "Eh, I don't know, Um, what would we do? And he goes, well, here's what I'm thinking. I got my old 56 Chevy truck, it's a one ton. I could haul a U-Haul trailer, we'll decorate it out, and then we'll have our worship team sit on the trailer and play music and we'll go down and we'll put the name of our, our church on the side of the of the truck and we'll get some free advertising. And so I, I said, okay, that sounds cool. Let's do this too. Let's give out candy canes to people and we'll, give, we'll invite people to our, our Christmas service. We were a tiny church at the time. So um, we went ahead and decided to do it and he came up with a plan and uh, this is what it looked like when we were done. This is the truck. There it is right there. See, he has got the little... This was a U-Haul trailer that we turned into a a Christmas package, and then there's the advertising for our church down there, and and this this is where the worship team sat, and this will show you at night at the Starlight Parade uh, what it looked like. These guys are much happier than they really look here. They had a good time, but we're just getting ready right there. Um, You can see down here, Bail Bonds. That's kind of the area we lived in. So... So we put this whole thing together and we asked people to bring, we didn't know how many people were at this, we thought there might be five or 6,000, so we said, hey, bring as many little candy canes as you can and our church raised, I think we had uh, 8,000 candy cane, little candy canes and I had printed off 4,000 your invited cards to, to our Christmas service and we started going down uh, and singing songs, the, the worship team was singing songs, we had people handing out candy canes. There was 30,000 people at this parade. And so we're in the middle of it and there's the, it, there's the biggest portion of the parade right in the center of it and, and the, it's probably 10 people deep on both sides. And so we're throwing candy canes and handing out our cards and all of a sudden I see the rest of the parade moving off into the distance and ours, our float is standing right here and, and holding back the entire rest of the parade. And, and so I go up and as I get closer to the, to the truck I hear it going rrr, 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 and, I get, and he goes, I don't know what's wrong. I can't get it to start. So I had all of the people that were with us begin to push the float, push it. And the, the band never stopped. They played the whole time. And we began pushing with manpower this truck and trailer. And as soon as the truck began to move, the crowd erupted ah, with, with <laughs> claps and praise and... Um, We had a massive number of people come to our church for the Christmas services that year and we won the best spirit-themed float that year, I think in part because they felt sorry for us, that's right. That act of faith was inspired by somebody who said, what if we do this? You know, I was looking into the history of Convoy of Hope and I don't know if you've ever heard, I know we support them, how that came to be. But uh, the family, the Donaldsons, actually had their parents, I think it was 1969, their their parents were in a automobile accident, the father was killed and the mother was badly hurt, it was by a drunk driver. The outpouring from their church community was so moving to them that they said, we wanna do this for other people, so they began just helping other people in in the local community and they got bigger and bigger and bigger and now Convoy of Hope Reaches around the globe, some of the worst disasters going on, they're there immediately helping. It all started with somebody who took a small act of faith and took it to the next thing, to the next thing, to the next thing. We need to be able to see what's possible and we have to start doing it with each other. We, it rubs off. It's important that you're here on Sundays and if you're joining us online, we're, we're glad you're here as well, but get with other people of faith to just enact, get your faith going based on what you see them doing, or maybe encourage them with the faith that you have. I was encouraged when I heard we, our, our students packed 490 boxes turkey uh, dinners for people in need, and we had our women supply everything that they asked for for the Acres of Hope. That's just phenomenal. We need to do that over and over and over again. Hebrews 11 one says this, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. It's the night vision goggles that helps us accomplish what God wants us to accomplish because we can see it for the first time. Some of us need to start thinking about what could be in our families. There may be some things missing in our marriages. You know, I I, I hate to admit this, but I think it was a little over a year ago, we, t- I was, uh, we were at the marriage uh, retreat, and I was talking about what Teresa and I do every morning. We hug each other, and we pray together, and it is the sweetest thing in the world, right? Um, and then we got out of the habit of it, and then we did it every once in a while, and then there was a drought of a long period of time where we weren't doing it. And then we even started, we were reading the Bible together, and we stopped doing that. And uh, just this last week, I said, we got to get back into this and she agreed and we're making it a priority. We need to readjust our focus and, and have a vision for what our marriages can be, what our families can be, what our community can be. We can be motivated to do the impossible when we are around what's possible. Secondly, I'm motivated to do the impossible when I leave behind the unusable. When I leave behind the unusable, we all have things that we don't need in our lives. Uh, Hebrews said to leave behind the sin that so easily entangles us. I used to backpack a lot when I was younger. And I remember my first backpack trip, I packed way too much. Like I packed every creature comfort. You know, I had a a lamp stand and a chaise lounge and everything else, right? I weighed 100. I almost killed myself and I learned then you take only what you need if you want to get to your destination we need to leave some things behind there are some things that're slowing us down there's there's some addictions that some people in this room have that we need to put behind us and you need to have somebody help you with it some of us are struggling silently in our marriages and we need to bring it out in the open and ask somebody to come and help us with it some of us honestly are, are kind of wasting time. You know it, there's a lot of time in your day that are just completely wasted. Uh, I love there's a C.S. Lewis quote that he says, you know, uh, we live half-hearted lives because we don't see what's possible. We go through our lives like kids that are playing with mud pies in a slum because we can't imagine what a vacation at the ocean would look like. God has a vision for us that goes so far beyond but we have got to get off the mundane. We have gotta go beyond just limited, Uh, thinking and just going through the same routines we've always gone through. We've got to give up some things in our lives if we want to see God do new things in our lives. We can give up pride. That's one thing we can give up. Some of us have a little bit of pride. It's getting in your way. It's getting in your way of your relationships, maybe at work. We've got to give up some things if we want to go to the next thing God has for us. Um, it says this in Romans 8, 1 and 2, this Paul speaking, he says, so there is now no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. I just want to say this about giving up sin, giving up things that are holding us back. In Christianity, we don't become acceptable to God by doing all the good things that make him happy. We're like kids, you know, I, I had my kids over, uh, my grandkids over, uh, over this last few days and th- they made messes everywhere. They're a disaster, right? Uh, so we spent uh, all, a half a day cleaning up after them everywhere and I don't expect anything different of them. They're little kids and God knows we're messes. And so he doesn't say, "Come." clean up your mess and come to me. No, he cleans up our mess for us. It's only us that wants to hold on to our messes, but he wants to say this, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of the sin that leads to death. So the things in your life that are holding your back don't have to hold you back. You can give them up just by yielding to the spirit of God. I'm motivated to do the impossible when I leave behind what's unusable. And finally, I'm motivated to do the impossible when I trust what's infallible. That means, it's a big word, it can't be broken, it's gonna happen, it's for sure. Uh, I'm not infallible. I was gonna help somebody move a month ago and my back went out. I didn't help him. I was partly happy about that, but I'm not infallible. There's sometimes I have great intentions and I don't follow through on them. But God is infallible. He will never fail. In 1989, there was a movie uh, back in the 1900s. Remember the 1900s? That's a thing now. There's some people that don't know that. They weren't born in the 1900s. 1989, there was a movie called Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Remember that movie? There's a part of the movie where his dad, Henry, I think he gets shot by the, by the bad guy, the villain, and Indiana has to get the Holy Grail in order for his dad to get his life back, and his dad to be saved. So he's having to fulfill the end of this quest, and he has in his hand the book that gives him all the directions and he comes to this chasm and, and the book says you have to take a leap of faith and he's looking at this chasm, it's way too far to leap across and so if you remember the movie, spoiler alert, it's you know almost 40 years old if you didn't see it. But anyway, um, so he takes a step of faith into the chasm and he's on solid ground, he's, he's on a bridge that looks exactly like the chasm across. It blends in in a way that it looks like it goes down, but it doesn't. So he's able to walk across in safety. He was trusting in a book that was giving him directions to go somewhere. We have the book that God wrote that knows the end, that we can trust completely. He's got promises he's given that we can trust completely. In Hebrews eleven thirteen, it says this, all these people died, he's talking about the heroes of faith, they died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it because they agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. You see, we're promised precious things but this isn't the end all be all. It's going to happen in the future but we can see the impossible happen today. We don't have to wait till we get to heaven. We can see incredible things happen today and God's called us to do that. One of the things that I love, I, I, you know some of my story, but I wasn't a Christian at all. And so I didn't believe that Jesus was a real being for part of my life, but um, there's a real strong movement to quote, disprove the Bible. And disprove what the Bible says is true. To try and get us to not trust in the promises of God. And there's a famous atheist that said, uh, he he said that there's absolutely no proof whatsoever that there's a God. And I remember hearing this, uh, this Bible teacher say, there is such unbelievable proof that there is a God. And here's one of the proofs that he gave. It's found in Psalm 22, 27, and 28. It says, let the whole earth Excuse me, the whole earth will acknowledge the Lord and return to him. This is a prophecy. The whole earth will acknowledge the Lord and return to him. All the families of the nations will bow down before him. For royal power belongs to the Lord. He rules all the nations. This was written at least 600 years before Christ in a tiny, tiny country we know what's going on in israel right now if you look at israel and the map of the world it's tiny this was written to say that the religion of this tiny country in this tiny part of the world is going to influence everybody on earth that is one of the most audacious things you could possibly predict yet it's happened the entire earth has heard the message of the gospel. There are people from every tribe and tongue and nation around the planet that ex- have experienced the Lord that, ta- that is talked about in Psalm 22. In fact, if you want to be blown away, read the whole Psalm. It predicts the crucifixion before crucifixion was even an invention. We can trust what's infallible, the word of God and the promises of God. We don't have to trust in what we can see, we can trust the person who sees beyond our abilities. Amen? I don't know why I didn't know more about this movement when I was uh, younger in my faith, but there's this thing called the Moravian Revival. I'm sure Pastor Chris knows about it, he's a missiologist, but, Um, It was really started by two men and the power of God. It was a guy by the name of Christian David, and he was a carpenter, just an average guy, no education. He was Catholic, and he just loved Jesus, but he couldn't find it in that church. He just felt a distance, and he was drawn to the Protestant church perspective of Jesus, the way they preached about Jesus. And it was at a time when there was great persecution. If you were not Catholic, and it was kind of a mixture of government and church running things, which is a mess. And so there was persecution going on for people who were Protestant in that area, in Moravia. And so he left and he came to this this place in in modern-day Germany outside of Dresden, and he met with a guy named Count Zinzendorf, I think it is. Anyway, you can look his name up. But he met this guy, Count Zinzendorf, who was a a strong believer. He was a very wealthy man. He owned this huge house, like a mansion, all this property. And he was basically the governor over this area. And so uh, Christian said, we have all these people who are fleeing persecution, and you have this huge house, why don't you let them come and stay? And so he agreed, and he would let them come and stay, and uh, they eventually began to build houses in the community, and they, they have a town there, and there was eventually, within a couple of years, about 220 people living in this town, and they were from every walk of life. Uh, they they were also from different faiths, all Protestant, but there was Baptists, and, Um, Baptists can disagree I don't know if you guys know about that but there's like 50 different denominations everyone represents an argument Uh, there was there was two different factions of Lutherans there was kind of the more pious the more oh we love people Lutherans and the more dogmatic Lutherans and they clashed all the time there was other different sects and beliefs and so they were coming together and they were worshiping and, and going to church together but they were arguing all the time and Count Zinzendorf one day had enough and he went and got them all in the community hall and he, for three hours, how would you like to have a three hour lecture on the sin of division? And they felt convicted. And he asked them, would you please commit to praying, studying your Bible, and be unified? And so they actually signed a document that they would commit to those things. And they did, and they got along, they didn't fight, but they also didn't feel warm towards each other. And then there was 24 women and 24 men that felt called to pray. And they said, we wanna pray 24 hours a day, so we're all gonna take an hour, and we'll be in our houses or different places, but we're gonna pray together for 24 hours. And so they started this 24-hour prayer vigil, and pretty soon it went up to 77. And this was a church of 300, so you're getting almost a quarter of your church praying 24 hours a day, that prayer vigil lasted 100 years. In fact, that church of 300 became the the beginnings of the modern missionary movement. A church of 300 within 25 years had sent out 100 missionaries to five different continents. They went and preached to the Indians in North America. They went to India. They went to Africa. They went to South America. They went all over the globe. And they were just normal, average people. Can you imagine every two and a half months, Pastor Chris praying and sending off a new missionary, one of you all, just going to another country, not going to missionary school, not knowing the language, just loving Jesus and loving people and being passionate to serve him. And they went all over the globe. In fact, one of the reasons America is the way it is is because of the Moravian revival. It impacted the early Americas. There was the great awakening that happened in our country and it impacted all kinds of the leaders who set up the structure of our governmental system. William Carey, who's known the father of the modern missions movement, went to India and met Moravians already there. You see, they were in the household of faith and they just loved Jesus and they wanted to see God do something and they were sold out to him and God did it. We are going into a new season in our church and I want to ask you, I want to beg of you to do something. Give up something that you can give up in your life. Maybe it's a sin that's holding you back. Or maybe it's something innocuous, like maybe a little too much TV or a little much too much scrolling, whatever. Give up something in your life and commit to praying. Spend some time in the morning praying, a few minutes every morning. Spend some time on your commute to work or on your way to school or wherever you're going. Spend some time praying that God will, would do the impossible in our midst in the coming months and in the coming years and in our church and in our families. Amen? Amen. I think we can do it. I'm not saying we're gonna have the Moravian revival here. I know God could do it though. He really could. If he had enough sold out people, enough serious people who were not gonna let anything stand between them and seeing Jesus and, and letting Jesus fill them up with the Holy Spirit, God can do anything. And so I'm encouraging you, let's get serious about going after God and let's start with prayer. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful that we have examples of other people who have gone before us and made sacrifices and just imperfect people like us who simply took you at your word and prayed and took you at your word and just acted when your Holy Spirit moved on their hearts and did such incredible things. And Lord, I just pray that you would help me as a pastor, as a leader, as the leader of my family, help me to just get rid of the distractions in my life that hold me back. The the time wasters that I have in my week, that are stopping me from praying and seeing you do newer, greater things. And I pray for our congregation, every single person here. There's some marriages that need to be healed. There's some legacies that need to be started. And there's a community that needs to be changed. And you have given us the responsibility to do it. So I just pray right now you would help us to have the will to do it. If there's someone here this morning too that's never trusted Jesus as their savior and been all in for Jesus, You can do that right now by simply praying this with me jesus forgive me i give you my life i give you my mistakes just help me to follow you all the days of my life and if you pray that prayer you are now a disciple of christ lord we thank you so much thank you for your love for us for your faithful this to us and for your promises that we can depend on. In Jesus' name, amen.